Don and Don from radio to real estate. They made an offer for over asking price. We did amazing. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, it's GeForce O'Neill. Thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 135, and we are live once again from the Les Schwab Studios. He's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Neill. We're going to tell you all about a very special guest who's a very special friend of both Ron and myself. We know him from our terrestrial radio days, and he just survived COVID-19. Before we get to that story, we have a brand new website out that we're just pumped about. It's called ronanddonsitdown.com. That's ronanddonsitdown.com. Yeah, you can go there just like uh, Team Ruth did, uh, where Don and I have a brand new listing on Green Lake that you can go out and check out right now. It's on our social medias. That's how it starts, though. We start with a sit-down, and you say, here's where we're at in our life, here's where we want to go. And so what is the plan to get from here to there? And for a lot of people, it's overwhelming to think of of this huge transition in your life because it involves so many things, family, memories, packing, unpacking, where am I going? Where have I been? Like the the list goes on and on. You got siblings, you got parents, you got relationships, uh, you have just monies involved, emotions involved. And so it's a big deal. It all starts with the sit down though. And it's been really great to, to meet people face-to-face after being uh, listeners for so many years. And so it starts there. You can see other people's stories, other people's journeys, what the sit-down's all about. You can see the actual camping coffee mug that you will get yeah. after you sit down with Ron and Don. So ronanddonsitdown.com. It's a brand-new site, too. So I would love it if you found. I already had Krista, uh, one of our friends, sent me, said, hey, there's a typo on this page. Oh, good. So I can go in and fix the typo. Or, hey, this word is misspelled go in and and fix that word Uh, and so read it look at it even if you're not uh, in real estate mode right now i'd love it if you're a person that just has that critical eye that can go this thing did our friend danny's like hey this menu item showed up weird on my ipad so i got that fixed so there's a lot of stuff like that 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 we would love if you looked at and then also if you do want to sit down that's the place to go yeah and that's a penthouse in green lake it's right across the street from green lake it's just over a million bucks it's unbelievable go to our social media channels and you'll see it and then don't forget, we just sold a condo in Puyallup. We just sold a home up in Edmonds, up in Linwood. Uh, many homes in places like Ballard on the east side uh, over by the Microsoft campus. So if you're hearing our voice, and most of the people here in Western Washington that listen to the Ron and Don show, uh, you listen online or you listen on Spotify or maybe you're listening on the Anchor app or Apple, uh, reach out to us. And the bottom line is this. We can probably help you if you're buying, selling, or investing. You can reach out to Ron, Ron at Windermere. Uh, dot com. Coming up on this show, Jim Ziegler is going to stop by. Promotions director for us. We worked in Terrestrial Radio at Cairo. He worked for us a number of times. One of the most positive people I've ever been around. He's just on the other side of 50. And Ron, a lot of people are saying, ah, this thing about COVID-19, the bottom line is this. Democrats are using this. No one's actually getting sick. No one's dying. This is a political ploy. I'm going to go out in the world, get the economy going, take my mask off. Let's get kids back to school. And all this thing, this thing is a ruse, right? Yeah. And so many people that don't know someone, now you're going to know someone. Uh, this is a person that's healthy, walking the 10,000 steps a day, uh, not in, an, in a high risk group, not, uh, you know, in an elderly population, anything like the standard middle of the road American citizen that got COVID-19 ended up being hospitalized for six days. We go through that journey and just think about this. 
this real quick because this is the thing that sticks with me. What would how would you behave if a doctor came into your room and said, "Don, we don't know if you're going to make it or not. I can't look you in the eye and tell you that you're going to get through this. You could die." What would you do? Who would you call? Mm. And then on top of that asterisk, people can't come to your bedside. Mm. Your mom can't come in this room. Your son can't come in this room. Your friend Ron can't come in this room because I'm wearing a spacesuit right now uh, that is hermetically sealed. We can't allow anyone in here. You might die. There's a there's a relative, there's a there's a coin flip chance that you're not coming out of this hospital alive yeah that discussion happened also jim met carl in the room next door uh he was praying for 41 other patients over at overlake hospital how did he find out he had it and what was it like to talk to his parents what was it like to have go home finally go home and no one can come visit you and now you're in quarantine he survived covid19 and jim ziggler is going to tell you his story next right here on the ron and don show only on the ron and don radio network they're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. <laughs> when it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected. And I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential. And Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide their services were, it just made it easy. It was a laydown. Ron and Don seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. <laughs> the weekend that we sold the house, um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, we did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem. Never felt rushed always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. You did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> All right, you guys, it's uh, the Ron and Don Show, episode number one thirty-five. Thanks for stopping by, and I, I think this is an episode that you're probably going to share with your friends because a lot of us, and I see this on the social media channels, people ask themselves once in a while, and they'll say, "Hey, do you know anybody that's had COVID nineteen? Do you know anyone?" that has passed away as a result of COVID-19, and maybe you knew someone that knew someone that knew someone and their dad was in a nursing home. 
And maybe that's the connection. So we wanted to share connection with you today. And we wanted to share a story with you today. Jim Ziegler joins us right now. And a number of years ago, when Ron and I worked at Terrestrial Radio, we worked at Cairo, Jim was the promotions director there. And then also, he was this big radio personality down in San Francisco. He was on KFOG, which would be considered like the old mountain here in Seattle. That's KFOG in San Francisco. And also, he was on 1035 The Bull. Is that right, Jim? Is that how it? 1035 The Blaze. Rockin' Chicago. Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) And then also, I was also on Zeta in Miami. So Yeah, I love that. Anyway... Uh, once you love radio like he does and like we do, you always love radio. He works in the tech industry now uh, for a very important company here in the great specific Northwest. But Jim, Jim is a survivor of COVID-19. And also he's doing something really amazing now to give back. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, Jim, let's just start with your journey of COVID-19. You have a sweatshirt on right now as we're doing the Zoom call that says COVID-19 survivor. Take us back to when you began to feel sick. When was this? And were people even talking about COVID-19 at the time, Jim? It was brand new. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm so honored to be on your, your podcast, and I, I really want to focus on some great stories. Um, but I started feeling symptoms that I didn't know were symptoms, uh, including loss of taste and smell. And that really hadn't even come out. Sanjay Gupta hadn't even announced that as a possible symptom. I thought it was odd, and I didn't have a cold or a cough or sneezing or anything like that at the time. And so I couldn't even smell bleach to give you an example, um, which I thought was really odd. Then I heard later uh, that that was a symptom a couple days later. I was having night sweats where I would wake up every hour and was just drenched. My bed was covered in, you know, it was wet all the way around. I had to wash all my bed sheets, blankets, comforter, everything. And I would, I would have the chills at night and it was awful. Um, So then I had um, some other symptoms which started, which were shortness of breath. Um, And I I really had difficulty even walking 20 steps from my bed to my bathroom, uh, which was really totally unusual because before this, I had walked 6,000 steps about a week earlier. Um, So it was uh, very unusual, but I didn't have the classic symptom, which was fever. So I started to kind of keep in touch with my doctor, and then uh, the fever finally developed um, on the fifth, uh, fifth or sixth day, uh, I guess the fifth day. Um, and that's when, uh, that's when I ended up having to go to the hospital. Yeah. So you're having these symptoms. You're on your way to the hospital. Are you thinking COVID-19 or is it still too early in the journey of the United States and what was happening around the world with with COVID-19? It was still early. It had crossed my mind, but I had been talking to my doctor that week. And the one uh, aspect that I didn't have that they really felt was a huge indicator and and that I needed to have was the fever. And I didn't. I was checking it every day. And, you know, at that point, people were really apprehensive to even go to the hospital. They weren't sure what the protocol would be. Do you call ahead? Do you wait outside? Uh, So it was very, uh, very new. I mean, everybody was learning about it and uh, including me. So when I got 
got there, I knew I was sick. I definitely knew I was sick because right before I went, my fever had spiked to 103.7, which was really high. And, you know, again, previous to this, every day it was fine, including that day. And I have, I'm part of a community group, volunteer group, and we had a Zoom meeting that night and I started to feel pretty warm and took my temperature and couldn't believe it. And the thermometer, you know, gives you your temperature and it shows like a green LED screen. And this was the first time it was showing red and beeping. I didn't even know, you know, it could do that. And so the first time it was 102.5, then it got up to 103.7. So I did a video call uh, with a doctor and they told me that it was definitely time uh, to go to the hospital. And so Jim, Jim Ziegler joins us, a COVID-19 survivor and a friend of a friend of ours for many, many years. Jim, I had just been in China in November for a holiday, uh, and I'm sure that you immediately were like, how did I get this? Where did I go? Who did I meet? What did I touch? Where, did you just start go down that rabbit hole of, oh my God, wh- wh- where did I intersect with this thing? I did, uh, including with the doctors when I was in the hospital trying to figure it out. Um, I was doing so much of this uh, just because uh, I was working from home from the beginning of the year. I had quarantined. I hadn't been out of my apartment in days. Um, and when I had the symptoms, I was just extremely careful. But you have to remember, this was before masks were a thing that everyone was doing. It was before there really was any kind of limitations. Uh, certainly, social distancing made sense. Uh, but it, it wasn't necessarily something that was being promoted a lot. And so you are a, a young-ish guy. You're not, you know, elderly by any means. You're not in a high-risk population. You are, as you said, you, you, you do your steps every day. You're relatively fit. Um, were you thinking, ah, I'll come in here, be a couple days, I'm in, I'm out, good to go? Yes. I didn't even think I was going to be staying. I'd never spent the night in a hospital. And so it was a completely new experience for me to, to even be there. And, uh, yeah, I, I just never thought, you know, I live across from Overlake and I look out at the hospital out my window for the last 11 years. So literally I wake up, I see Overlake, never thought I'd be spending the night and ended up there for six days. Hmm. Tell us about the conversation you had with your parents. I know they were concerned and you decided because you're, you're one of the most, and, and people will see this through the course of this interview, Jim is contagious. And I don't mean with COVID-19. I mean with enthusiasm. I mean with positivity. I mean with philanthropy. I mean, you talk about giving back. And some of the things that this guy has been through beyond COVID-19, he's been through things even recently that are rougher than that. And yet he always bounces up. He always bounces back. And I remember working at Cairo, he always, always encouraged others. And so here you are, and I got uh, some of your notes last night that I read, and I got very teary-eyed about the conversation that you had with your parents. They were concerned, and even though we're about to find out how you found out you had COVID-19, you're, you're having conversations with them to kind of lift them up, aren't you, Joe? Absolutely. My parents are in their 80s. They live nearby, but weren't able to be there, of course, and I know it just crushed them. Um, to not be able to be there with me and comfort me. But I told them every day, multiple times, hey guys, I'm going to beat this. I'm fine. Whatever it is, I'm going to be able to handle it. And when I first got to the hospital, they definitely recognized that I had COVID symptoms, but what I was admitted for was I had pneumonia. So still, it wasn't until the third day in the hospital that I actually got the positive COVID test. And 
at that point, I had really started to take a turn. And I called my parents because the nurse had told me a lot of people are dying from this and we're seeing changes in as little as an hour. So we can't promise anything and you are very sick. Uh, so I called my folks and I, I just, you know, mom, dad, I, I just want you to know I love you and I can't, can't say for sure any more than, than I'm going to beat this. And it was heart-wrenching for me. Uh, my parents are so strong. And my dad even made a joke because I said, you know, does this mean I'm forgiven for anything I did as a kid? And he mm -hmm. said, well, it's a five-page list, Jim, but we're going to go ahead and do that. Of course, he's kidding. But there was levity even at that moment. But it was just heart-wrenching because I knew that it was tearing them apart. And th it was a lot tougher, I think, on them than even what I was going through just because I was their son and, you know, we have a really close close family, great relationship. So it was really, really difficult. And I had to have that conversation with a friend via voicemail. And, you know, I said, hey, Richard, I, you know, I, I love our breakfast and I'll miss them. And, you know, you've been such a great friend. He's a friend I met through volunteering at Habitat. And, you know, tears were rolling down my face. Um, and it was just a, a really emotional several hours there where I really didn't think that I was going to make it. Um, and then I got the COVID test back. Yeah. Tell us about getting the COVID test. Every morning, the doctor would come into the room and he would stand at the door um, and very limited time. Uh, he was a great doctor. I actually looked up his picture after I got uh, home and, you know, because I couldn't see his face. You know, he had the mask on and everything. Uh, so he, he came in every morning and it was very early each morning. Usually was what woke me up. And he'd say, hi, Mr. Ziegler, how are you feeling today? And, and that morning he said, uh, good morning, Mr. Ziegler. I just wanted to let you know that uh, your test did come back positive for COVID-19. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. So that was a really uh, defining moment because I had it. Um, to hear those words were, were really tough. Um, but I saw so many great stories there as well. But that moment uh, was just was really tough because then I'm now I'm in this group and I was on my like third or fourth day in the hospital at that point with pneumonia, which had cleared. So, Jim, everybody knows existentially that we're going to not make it off this planet. What's it like when it hits you right in the face like that? It's tough because you have so many people you want to reach out to. You have so many people that are reaching out to you just because you're in the hospital to the point where you absolutely can't keep up. Uh, the support that I got from my friends and family and coworkers was absolutely amazing. And so you're just trying to figure out how to say goodbye. I felt very comfortable and thought to myself about all the things that I'd done in my life and my life was full. And I so enjoy volunteer work, as Don mentioned. And, you know, I've had a lot of great experiences, including getting to work with you guys twice. So um, I, I felt very thankful. Um, and I wasn't afraid to die, but I absolutely didn't want to die. And I, you know, I'm 51 years old, so uh, I've got a good life ahead of me. And, and before this, very healthy. So this was, uh, which was part of the reason that I actually got treatment there was because I was in generally very good health. And Jim, I got to ask you, because I was talking to my sister the other day, and they, they're down in Florida, and they're like, no, you wouldn't believe this. There are kids, high college-age kids, they're like, let's just have a COVID party. We'll all get it. We'll get through this. Not a big deal. Let's get it over with. We'll get the antibodies. 
What do you say to that mentality that you're like, this is not a big deal, this is not really something to worry about, or maybe we should just all get it and let it run its, run its course? Yeah. I think everybody's got to wear a mask and do their part. Um, this is to protect others. And I think as a country, we just have to do this. Uh, everyone's tired of it. And I understand when you're younger, in fact, the uh, aspect you mentioned with the COVID parties had actually come up in the hospital. A nurse brought it up to me that she had heard on TV that, that they were having these COVID parties, uh, which was really surprising to all of us. I mean, at that point, it's shocking. It's like, what is going on? So I think it's, it's irresponsible. There are a lot of people and were in the hospital when I was there with 41 other patients that were younger and that were healthy. And, and those were the ones that they actually wanted to treat with medicine. And that's how I qualified. I was, uh, I was so sick, but yet had a good chance of survival. Yeah. Uh, Jim Ziggler, tell us what it was like in the day of a COVID patient. Uh, who comes to see you? What do they look like? What's the treatment? What do you do all day, 24-7? And then what's around you in other rooms? Because you talked about these other 41 patients. And were right. you able to connect with other patients in other rooms, even though uh, you're one, two, 10 doorways away. Great question. Uh, what it was like when they came in was gigantic PPE, um, including heavy masks. At that point, you know, they were all out. Um, and when I got into the emergency room, it was like five astronauts around me. Um, and, and it was very, uh, I, I was positive still very much at that point. Um, but it was, it was surreal. I mean, you're watching this. And then when they were examining me, the, the doctor who was leading this group said, this may be the COVID. And, you know, that's what it sounded like through the mask. And I was like, wow. And then he came back and told me, you know, that, that I had pneumonia. They were admitting me and I, I wouldn't be going home anytime soon. And in the room, this is really interesting. I, I very much focused on telling all the caretakers, hey, take care of the people who are sicker than me first. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want you to spend your time there. And they would say, well, you know, it's really encouraging uh, to us to have someone who can actually speak because I was on oxygen, but not on event. And so I would always tell them the same thing. I'd say, you know, listen, uh, I know I can't see anyone else here. I couldn't even see into the hallway. Uh, but I want you to tell other patients that might need a boost that there's someone right down the hall fighting the same thing that is praying for them. And, and I really felt the connection there, even though I couldn't see anyone and never met any of the patients. I was kind of thinking that I might be in a more broad area with patients, uh, but I wasn't. I was in my own very isolated room. Yeah. Did you get to know any of the nurses, any of the doctors, or any of the patients, even though you're, you're 10 rooms away in some cases? I did, and it was uh, a really great experience to meet these folks that were on the front line, and it was so new and new to them and so many sick patients. Uh, but there was one story I want to share with you, and, and this was the closest I got to, to really even having any interaction with um, another patient or any knowledge of the patients. Um, there was a man who was in the room next door to me, and our beds probably lined up next to each other on the wall. And I would hear the nurses go in there, and they would say, you know, hey, hey, Carl, how are you doing? And he'd, you know, oh, like that, give a, give a little uh, noise. Um, I was praying for this man. I knew he was fighting it. I knew he was having a tougher fight than I was. Um, 
but I knew he was there every day. And that was encouraging to me that, that he was in the room next to me. And the last day, this, this is a little emotional, but the, the last day I, I actually took an ambulance home so that I wouldn't be exposed to anything. And they took me right to my door, which was, you know, a, a very interesting experience. But right before that, I was in my room and waiting for all this to happen by myself. And I went over to the wall and I said, hey, hey, Carl, uh, I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm in the room next to you and I've been here for several days with you and I've been praying for you. <laughs> I want you to try and really fight this because it's tough, but you can make it. And I believe in you. So then the ambulance drivers arrived and I was still, you know, emotional. Um, and I told the, the drivers the story uh, of what I had just done, you know, the man next door. And his room actually had a window on the door, but I didn't know that. So the ambulance driver told me, you know, he does have a window on his door. And if you'd like, we can take you out that way and you can wave to him. <laughs> and I mean, that meant the world to me. And so we got out there and the ambulance driver knocked on the, door, on the window and he, he couldn't really respond. Um, but I got to look at him, <laughs> broke my heart, but I pray that he made it. Uh, and I pray that the others there, you know, were feeling those prayers and, and the heroes that work there, the doctors, the nurses, every single person, they had to put on that PPE every time they came in my room. And so I, we really limited visits. We would plan the next visit. What do you need? Um, you know, if I needed ice or 7-Up or anything like that, we would plan that out so that they didn't have to make as many trips because each time they had to put on new PPE and then take it off in the room before they even exited into the hallway. They are the heroes in this fight, and they saved my life. And after I was diagnosed, I felt there was a day where I felt like I was making improvement. And this was the day they brought in the infectious disease doctor, and he talked to me about treatment. And I told him that I was very open to treatment uh, with medication, but uh, that I didn't want to take anything away from anyone else who was sicker. And at this point, there was very limited supplies of treatment. And he said, well, I've been working with a number of doctors in Tehran, and they're having success with a drug called hydroxychloroquine. And I would like to have you, you take that. And I said, well, I'm, again, I'm totally open to it, but I, I kind of feel like maybe I'm getting better today. And he said, no, you're not. You're getting worse. You're very sick, but you're also very healthy overall. And because of the balance of those two things, we think you can fight this and you're exactly the type of patient that we want to treat. And I said, okay, well, when would I start? And he said, 15 minutes once I put the orders in. So that was when I started on hydroxychloroquine, uh, which was, this was before remdesivir and all the other ones were even being mentioned. Hydroxychloroquine was kind of the only option. And I was also put on Coletra in combination with that. So immediately started to see improvement within a day. I felt so much better. And then a few days later, I was released. Uh, so that infectious disease doctor, he came into my, my hospital room and sat there. And he said, I just want you to know how glad I am that you made it out. And he also started to talk to me uh, about what I could do post-COVID. Jim, I got to ask you about the moment it dawned on you that you weren't going to die. 
that was after the hydroxychloroquine. That next morning, I could recognize that uh, everything was improving. You know, all the, the blood pressure, the oxygen level, my heart rate was back to normal. I was breathing better. Uh, I really just, I felt like it was a miracle. Uh, I really did. And the doctors did too, because, you know, I was one of the first patients to be treated on this. Um, and so I felt very fortunate. But again, I, I didn't want to take away from anyone else. There were sicker patients um, that were there. And, and the doctor began to talk to me about what I could do to give back uh, following COVID, uh, which I really uh, found enlightening. Yeah, I'm going to get to that in one sec. What was it like to call mom and dad? extremely difficult. The first few times I called them, though, um, as worried as they were, I, you know, again, like Don said, I was very positive. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to make it. Don't worry about me. I know I'm here. I'm in good hands. They're great people. And uh, I couldn't be in a better place, but I don't want you guys to worry because I'm going to get out. And, you know, at the same time, I'm worried about not only how they're feeling, but also the, I, the likelihood that they could get it. Um, so it, it was very emotional time. And I, I think I was worried more about them. They were worried more about me, but none of us could be together. And, and that was, it was a, a really tough time. When I actually had to say goodbye to my folks, I mean, the most emotional moment of my life. I was crying. I had tears rolling down my face. I, I couldn't believe that I was telling them this, but I truly had had such a change in, in my mentality that I was going to make it, but I wasn't giving up. And I told them that as well, but I really thought that was going to be the last time I spoke with them. And, you know, you never expect to, to die before your folks. And, you know, I was right on the doorstep at that point. What happened to Carl and what happened to the 41? You know, the 41, I've told, I'm told now, is down to about eight. Um, that's about how many patients they have right now. Um, I don't know what happened to Carl. Um, I'm hoping he made it out of there. The really positive part of that was that he had been there for several days. And uh, that, at the time, was very encouraging. Um, you know, again, I never got to really meet him or anything. It was just that being next to him and praying for him and, and hoping for him and doing everything I could to to try and support that spiritually. Yeah. What do you want to say about the frontline workers? They're amazing. And they continue to impress me uh, in the post-COVID donations that I've done. And I can tell you about that in a minute. But uh, just incredible people, selfless, and coming in and just – you know, I was worried about them. I said, guys, you know, I'm worried about you. And they said, well, you know, we're protected. And at one point they came in and they said, Jim, you're, blood pressure is going up and we're concerned about you watching the news because I was trying to learn everything that I could. And later that day I got banned from TV. It got unplugged. So for 24 hours, I couldn't watch news, which was probably a good thing. Uh, but these folks in, in some cases, depending on their own risk, they would have to have actually an airtight suit. And I think I sent you some pictures of that with tubing on the back that, you know, to breathe and they're completely, Completely contained. This is even well beyond PPE. I mean, this is the, you know, type of hazmat outfit you might see, like an astronaut would wear. And each time they came in, they had to put all of this on. So they are amazing people. They were there uh, around the clock, but um, I really tried to limit the visits and so did they so that we could, uh, you know, limit the amount of time and the amount of PPE. Yeah. 
Usually when you go home, my, my father was in and out of a hospital for three years. He was uh, in Chicago when I was a little boy and he went up to Tarpa Lode, uh, down by the loop and they call it the Windy City and the Windy City grabbed the tarp and him and it slammed him to the ground and he broke his back in a number of places. So then he went into the hospital for three years of his life. The difference is, as a kid, I remember sitting in his hospital room. I remember coloring coloring books. I remember building Legos. I remember being there with my mom and my three other siblings. And then I would remember just a big celebration when he finally went home. Uh, And he still couldn't sleep in his bed in my mom and dad's room. So we took our living room and we put a hospital bed in there. And then my dad stayed in there in that bed for uh, a number of years. When you came home, when you came home and I saw the pictures on Facebook that brought me to tears, I could see the joy in your eyes, though, when you had announced to all your friends uh, that you had made it and that you had survived. And once again, you told people, don't worry about me. Uh, but this is a very important story, and we'll tell you why here in a moment because of what Jim's doing today, because he always pivots to serve, which I love. What was it like to go home? You're on your own. And people couldn't be there to celebrate, to hug you, to hold you, to kiss you. Um, What's that like? It felt good to be home, but I came home in an ambulance on a stretcher strapped in. Um, You know, as if I was going to the hospital, I came home the same way. And it was a relief to be back in my apartment. Uh, it was great to sleep in my own bed. I had a ton of food here, so I was very well prepared for quarantining again because at this point, they really didn't know you know, how long it would be contagious. And so abundance of caution, quarantining again. Uh, and it was um, mixed emotions, though. You know, Like you said, there wasn't anyone around. Um, but I felt that support from outside and Facebook played a, a big role in that, a much bigger role than it normally does in my life, but it's a great way to connect and, and also to share the message of what others can do uh, to help. Because you're right, I did try to encourage people not to worry about me, but what they could do for others and themselves. Jim, I'm wondering if you're, I know you've been a blood donor for many, many years. Is, uh, are you in the program where your antibodies are being hopefully used for good? Yeah, so it's a great story, and it's all through Bloodworks Northwest as far as the administration aspect of it. And the doctor that was the infectious disease doctor sat with me that last day when I was about to be released, and and he said, I I need to ask you a favor. And he said, you're going to be getting some phone calls, and there are opportunities for you to donate and help. And I said, well, absolutely. I said, I'm a 10-gallon blood and platelet donor. I said, I go to Bloodworks Northwest all the time, and this is going to be a more personal connection, and I'm absolutely in. So um, as soon as I got back to my apartment, within a couple of days, I called to find out about the program. It was actually through UW, but Bloodworks was the partner to actually take that plasma. Uh, So I called and they said I had to wait a month um, and then they would schedule an appointment. I would come in. They test my blood for antibodies. Um, They needed a copy of the positive test as well. And then I could start the donation process. So uh, about three weeks after that, I got a call that I had antibodies and I had enough to donate the convalescent plasma. And I was really excited. 
um, because it meant going back to Bloodworks, which is something I love, and I knew I was helping people. So at that point, um, I started the, the donation process uh, with the antibodies, and what they told me is that patients are re reacting very well to this and that start to feel better right away, and one bag of the convalescent plasma that I donated each time could help up to five patients. Hmm. So what's life like today? So today it's interesting. I've now become part of another study over there. And this study is following post-hospitalization patients and tracking their blood work over time. And as we learn so much about this disease, these opportunities will probably present themselves in, in other ways. But that's another program um, that I'm involved with. So I go down there about once a week or two and have to donate. Also do saliva testing. Um, so they're really doing a lot of research. It's an incredible amount of blood that they take. Um, it's 12 to 18 vials of blood. And, uh, but, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I felt... Uh, good about it and, and helping others because it's not about me. And I've never thought about the personal connection when I'm donating blood and platelets uh, until this experience. But one thing that happened this week, um, which is kind of sad, is that I got a call that my antibodies have now dropped to a level below the requirement for the convalescent plasma donations. So I've done my last one. However, I still do have antibodies. I'm still involved in the post-hospitalization study. And what's interesting, I even saw last night on television, they're starting to talk about after three months, uh, people start to see an antibody reduction. They're measurable in the same way red blood cell count or platelet count is measurable. And I have really high antibody count. And I asked the doctors in the study when I first started, because I fought this disease so hard and because I was in the hospital, do I likely have a higher uh, level of antibodies than someone who may have been asymptomatic or didn't have a rough time? And he said, yes, that is the case. So you will be a great donor as long as you have the antibodies. And so I donated a lot. I did it as often as they would let me do it. Absolutely loved it. Learned so much. Amazing people. And that is where I got to meet some other COVID patients as well, because they had a row of people that were doing just this. So um, yeah, tremendous experience. I would encourage everyone to, to get out there, donate blood, platelets, plasma. If you are a COVID patient uh, that was positive, really consider the antibodies because it's so important. Yeah. I'm going to ask you three quick questions. Ron's going to ask you three quick questions. We're going to zoom out, try to give us 30 second answers here. Uh, do you feel like the wearing of a mask is essential and hasn't been politicized? I think it's been politicized, certainly, but I feel it's essential. And I think that we're all really starting to to realize just how essential it is because uh, it does help prevent the spread. I think we did a good job here of getting on that early. And, you know, if 80% of the folks in our country were wearing a mask, we could get rid of this um, and much more quickly. And I really would encourage everyone to think about that for the others that are around them. Think about those that are vulnerable and older and protect them and do the right thing. Yeah. Are you concerned about kids going back to school? I, I am concerned about it, and I have a niece and nephew and talk to my sister about it, um, and she does have some concerns, uh, but at the same time, I, I think that we do have to get back to business and and the economy and, and schools, and, and it all really intertwines because so many people are seeing their kids at home and having to work in that type of situation. So um, 
you know, I think we need to do it safely and we need to do it at the right time. And I don't know exactly what that time is, but I think it's better to be cautious um, than jumping in too quickly. No, I think I'll, I'll take this to my grave. The ambulance driver recognizing in you that you had this connection with Carl. I'll take you by the room. We'll look in the window. I'll send him a message. I'll send the other 41 a message. You're a hero to me, man. I don't think I could do that. I think I would be so concerned about my own life, my own skin in the game, and I would be so scared of death. Where does that come from to stop by Carl's window? And again, where does it come from today to be in these studies? You were already giving blood before COVID-19. Um, where does the kindness, where does the passion, the philanthropy, where does that come from? And Jim? It's, uh, I think it's a fiber of my being. It's something that I grew up with. My dad's a super volunteer uh, in a lot of different places. Um, I also think it was a bit of a way to have a distraction, to think about and pray for others and not focus on what you talked about, that I could die or really just trying to, to figure out where this was going to lead. Um, so I, I was already just trying to figure out and talking to the nurses, what can I do after this to, to help others? And I actually thought in the hospital that we might be together and have an opportunity to interact or support each other. And so spiritually and just messages through the nurses was really the only way uh, that I could do that. But to try and think about other things um, actually, I think, took my mind off a lot of what I was going through myself. Jim Ziegler joins us. I'll give you my quick rapid fire. What would your succinct advice be to people that Don talked about in the open? They don't know anybody. They're tired of this. They want to get back to normal. They see 80-degree weather coming on their phone weather app, and they want to get out there and go hiking or go on the lake or go to a restaurant, go to a deck. They're just, they want this to be over. And what would you say to them? That everybody wants to get back to normal and that it's normal to feel the way that they do, but that they need to think of others. And we want to get rid of this. And I think everyone would tell you that if they had to stay in for another couple of weeks and at the end of that couple of weeks, we would have really gotten rid of or really limited this disease. I think a lot of people would do that. Um, it's taken a really long time. So I think people are apprehensive, but you've got to wear masks. You've got to wash your hands, do it for others, do it for yourself and don't be selfless. You've got to think about the repercussions and, and hopefully people will take a story from me uh, today and, and realize that everyone's susceptible to this. And you've heard stories. You saw Chris Cuomo uh, get this disease on CNN and his wife as well. And, and you know, he lived through it and uh, it, it's real. Uh, and you have to remember that. And you never know who you're walking by in a grocery store, any other place, even out on the street that might be very vulnerable and might be older. And, you know, if you think about it from the perspective, this is the way I try to look at it. How could you live with limiting another person's life or even putting them in danger without doing something to try and prevent that? Hmm. Are you optimistic about a, a vaccine in the near term? 
I am. And that's another thing that the blood donations that I'm still doing um, for the studies are, are going towards. Some of it's being used to help develop a vaccine. They're freezing some of it to see how long it lasts. They're preparing for the fall if we have another surge. Uh, so it's really interesting to know that uh, that, that is, is being done and, and that I'm a part of it. But more than anything, you're seeing these trials all over. And, and I am optimistic. And I think, you know, unless we were to do like a two-week complete country lockdown, we're not going to really get back to normal until there is a vaccine. And then it's going to be how do we get it, how much of it is available, who gets it first, all those kind of things. The same kind of concerns that we've had with testing. Um, but I'm very optimistic. I'm very hopeful. I get my flu shot every year and now we'll get our coronavirus shot every year. And then uh, my final uh, echoes what Don said a little earlier, and that's just uh, a heartfelt thank you to you for your transparency and your courage in doing this. I think most people would want to just maybe go, yeah, I think I got it, but I'm not going to talk about it. And I'll just, so thank you for that. And thank you for your courage and your generosity. And, and I hope that it inspires people that now, now, you know, someone, now, you know, Jim. And so you can't say you didn't know. I really appreciate that, Ron. And uh, getting that message out through social media has been something that uh, I really didn't want to attract attention to myself, but to what others can do. And I think that that's been a key part of it for everyone, because you're almost obligated to share at least I felt obligated to share my story and, and do the right things following the hospitalization. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch with Jim, uh, we'll find out what he's comfortable with. We'll put it in the show notes. Final 30 seconds. Um, what do we miss? What do you want people to know? Uh, we'll let you have the final 30. There are so many heroes in this fight. And those now include folks that are working in restaurants and all along the folks in the grocery stores. And of course, the medical frontline workers, the ambulance driver. I can't tell you how many folks I've come in contact with, including through the, the post-hospitalization work, uh, that are just amazing, amazing people. And many of them have been personally touched. Some of them have had it themselves. Um, but they're all fighting for us and doing everything to help protect us and they deserve all the credit i'm just someone who can gladly facilitate a message and i I feel fortunate to be able to do that but it's not about me this is about everyone that is working hard to fight this disease regardless of what they do for a living yeah and that's no bs it's not about me whenever i tell people it's not about me it's always about me (laughs) yeah when i tell people no judgment i'm about to judge you so not about me no judgment come on anyway jim thank you so much for stopping by i'm glad to have you on our podcast today with your COVID 19 survivor sweatshirt on who gave you that damn thing it's awesome uh hopefully i'll never get one I bought it, actually. I found it online. But uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. I got it actually pretty early. I don't wear it out in public, though, except when I'm donating because I don't want to scare people away. Jim, thanks for that. Ron and I will come back. We'll have some final thoughts about Jimmy Z uh, in our time with him at Cairo and now uh, our time with him today. And we'll talk to you in about a minute. Don't go anywhere. We could use your help to spread the word that Ron and Don Radio can now be heard worldwide on your phone at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Please tell someone and hit subscribe. 
All right, you guys, episode 135. I hope this is an episode that you share. This is one that I feel like, and and I don't often ask you to promote us, but this is one that I really want everyone out there to share with your friends and your family because so many of us don't know anyone. And Ron and I uh, know people through radio. In fact, one of our program directors, uh, Darren Arians, uh, he died two months ago from COVID. You just met Jim, who we know through radio. And through our platforms, we just we we know a lot more people than maybe the average human just because of the platforms that we're on. And there are a lot of people out there. You, you don't know anyone. You don't know their story. And you have a concern about yourself, your family, your kiddos going back to school. And what does that mean for all of us? Well, now, as Ron said, now you know someone. What'd you learn today from Jim? A couple things that uh, Jim is an extraordinary person. Uh, I think when you are others focused like he is and you give more than you receive, mm-hmm. that if there is such a thing as karma, I think some good karma came back to Jim because he constantly, he lives a lifestyle of service and of giving. And so that's very inspiring to me. And then I think the other thing that, you know, we distract ourselves through life. And you talked about you've been reading a lot of stoicism lately. None of us get out of this thing alive. And sometimes it's good to stop down for a second and just say, hey, how am I spending my time? You know, am I doing things that are important to me? Am I so caught up in my own narrative that I can't get out of my own way? And so for me, you know, hearing Jim's story of going, that could have been me. That could have been you. That that went into the hospital for six days and didn't know if we were going to make it. And so what it means to me is like when I get up in the morning, it's like, oh, I want to hit the snooze button again. Or, man, I don't feel like filling in the blank, whatever that thing is today. Or uh, whatever, you know, gripes that I'm obsessing about in my own mind. To say, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. This is what you got. Every day that you've ever lived, you can't get it back. Every, you know, experience that you've ever had, positive or negative, that's gone too. You, you have right now, you have today, and you can set your sail and lean into what you want to happen and what, where you want to go uh, and live right now in this moment. Don't live in the future. Don't live in the past. <laughs> live right now. And if you can help someone or do something positive like Jim, do it. Yeah. I do these little morning routines, and I've done these morning routines for years. And it started when I went when I was back in the church in my twenties. Uh, we would do something that it talked about having a quiet time. Remember that quiet time when you wake up, have a quiet time. And I've gone back to that as I've gotten older, just having a quiet time in the morning and really reflecting on what happened yesterday. Because we're always we're always pushing toward the future, but we never take the time to just reflect. And so I'm trying to take more time to reflect and be thankful uh, and express that gratitude. And then also I say a prayer every day. I light this candle and I just say, and I talk to the universe or Lord or Jesus or Buddha or Ron or the phone book, whoever you pray to. And I say these prayers out loud and these mantras that I have out loud. But part of it, part of it, I always ask I hope that there'll be somebody in my day that's placed in my day that I can intersect with and somehow help in a small way or a big way. And 
And I'm always not successful at that. I think some of that is me in there wanting to feel better about myself and my own life. But just listening to Jim today, um, he really knows who he is. He has an incredible mindset. I would love to have his mindset. And I think if I went in the hospital like that, I think I'd feel super sorry for myself. I think I'd drag a lot of people into my drama. And he didn't do that. He kept looking outward. He kept being thankful for the ambulance drivers, frontline workers, those doctors, for Carl next door, for the other 41. And then what did he do when he got out? He immediately pivoted. I'm going to give these antibodies away. But that wasn't new to him going to the blood center because he's always done that, right? That's his mindset. He's always done that. And then on top of that, uh, to come today, tell his story, and to be so encouraging uh, to the rest of us. So next time you get in an argument with someone online or in real life about whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask, think of Jim's story. And now there's 4.1 million stories like that just in the U.S. And now here we go, heading toward 150,000, and they say by October, 208,000 deaths from COVID-19. I love his mindset. I want to be more like Jim Ziegler. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we appreciate Les Schwab, because we are live from the Les Schwab studios, and we couldn't do this without their support. So our thanks to Les Schwab today for supporting us in the Ron and Don Show, in the Ron and Don Nation. There are hundreds of thousands of you, and we appreciate you. All right? Next time you get in an argument about whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask, think of Jim, because now you know somebody. Think of Jim. Think of his mindset. Think of his positivity that he shared with us today. That outward focus. So cool. Episode 135, would you share it? I think it's a good one to share. Let's all share that. And we'll see you next time for episode 136. Don't forget, you can always find us on the new website, Ron and Don at sitdown.com. If you want to have access, we can virtually sit down with you. That's Ron and Don sitdown.com. Reminding you, keep your head up. Keep your shoulders back. Keep looking for those Carls. Look for a Carl today. Look for a Carl. Just like Jim did. And we'll see you next time. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. 